Where did you like to play as a child? I ask this question a lot because childhood memories shape us into the people we become. Welcome to Play It Forward, a worthy podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Ritson. Thanks so much for joining me. I talk a lot about play. I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I'm an educator, and I'm a playground designer. So I want to gather some of my favorite people who are advocates of children and nature and create a space to have an honest conversation about getting more kids outside. The power of play is very often underestimated and I think we all need a little more play in our lives. Um, today's guest, we have the inspiring teacher Tom, also known as his real name, Tom Hobson. Um, well, the name says it all. However, let's extend on that a bit. Um, to start, that's right, Tom is a preschool teacher, also a writer, a speaker, an artist, and an author of Teacher Tom's first book, named Teacher Tom's first book, and also waiting with bated breath the release of his second book, and no guesses, no awards for guessing what it's called. It's Teacher Tom's second book, and it's about to be launched very soon. Um, also, he's got some really valuable parenting, uh, sorry, partnering, partnering, that's a mouthful, partnering with parents e-course. Um, Tom's been a teacher for the past 15 years and intends to work at his beloved Woodland Park Cooperative Preschool till always. Um, Tom has also been an inspiration to me personally and my years as an educator and beyond. To have Tom on the sh- to share his wisdom and humor is a pleasure. And if you haven't already checked out Tom's blog, super valuable, head over to Teacher Tom on Facebook and all the amazing links to his blog are there and they're super valuable. So thank you so much for coming on today, Tom. Thanks for inviting me. I'm excited to be here. It's quite a definition. Um, let's jump straight into it, um, all the way from Seattle and via Zoom. Um, but cooperative preschool, can you give our listeners a breakdown of what that is and why it's good? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so a cooperative preschool, I've never worked in any other kind of school. I started you know, my teaching career in my mid-30s, and uh, you know, it was a, you know, obviously a second career kind of thing. Um, and I got involved with a cooperative preschool. Uh, essentially, what a cooperative preschool is, it's a school that is owned and operated by the parents who enroll their, their children. So, and, and this is not, that's not metaphorical. It's a legal entity. The parents are the legal owners of the school. Wow. And so, you know, we'll have um, typically 65 to 85 families enrolled. And they will be all equal owners, each family. And I, uh, the teachers, now we have three teachers all together. The teachers are the two teachers altogether. The teachers are the only paid employees in the school. Uh, and the parents do everything else that goes into making the school function, everything from the administrative work to the janitorial work. They do the financial planning and the wow. field trip planning, the gardening, the maintenance, everything that goes into making a school run. So um, the, the tuition is quite low, tends to be low because there's you know, the expenses are basically rent and the teacher salary. Uh, because everything else is taken care of by the parents. On the other hand, you have to put in uh, some time working for the school as parents. Uh, as a teacher, what I really value about it, and I guess you know, a lot of teachers will hear that and kind of gasp a little bit at the idea of having sixty-five bosses, <laughs> and because it because in children. a very real well, well, the the parents, you know, they really are. They they hire me, they fire me, they evaluate me, they make those decisions about you know about those kind of things like an employer would. Uh, but on a on a on a day to day basis, they are required. Each family who's an owner, part of the requirement of ownership, 
is to spend one uh, day a week, they owe me an adult, to work in the classroom with me as my assistant teachers. And so on a day-to-day -day basis, I am their supervisor. Yeah. And so it becomes this, uh, to me, a really beautiful kind of uh, circle because a cooperative means that the customers are also the owners, are also the, you know, and, and, and they're also the, the parents of the kids and, the, and, and it's just becomes a real beautiful circle. We always run everything very efficiently financially yeah. um, until we really, if the community decides we want something, mir miraculously, the money always shows up. Yeah. Um, if the community doesn't really want it, the money doesn't show up. And I think that it's very democratic in that way. Um, so that's that's kind of in a nutshell what a co-op is all about. I think what I love the most about it, though, is um, having the parents working in the room with me. Because, you know, you, you've been a teacher, everybody who's a teacher, you know that every parent who brings children to you knows their child's a genius, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> and they're really, you know, they're really excited to tell you about it sometimes. I mean, you know, they'll come in and they'll, oh, you know, Sally, well, you know, she already can do her ABCs. Or, you know, Johnny, he counted to 500 the other night. And they'll boast about it. Um, but I think the truth is, too, is every parent at the same time is really concerned about their children. You know, yeah. they, they might not tell you about it. And I think in uh, kind of our contemporary society, there's a, there's more things to be afraid of for your child. And and every parent is worried their child is somehow, you know, behind. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I could put that in air quotes because we know there's no such thing as behind in yeah. the early years like this. And I think what I love about having the parents in the classroom is they come in and they see yeah, you know, my kid is a genius. Yeah. Uh, but so is that one. And so is that one. So are all the different kids, the, the other kids, they see that they're all geniuses. And then they say, yeah, well, my kid might be a little bit behind. Uh, but, you know, that one is too. That one is, they all are. And they get to this sense of what normal really is in yeah. the early years, which is gigantic. Yeah. I mean, early years, Jake, it, it's normal. Is It's so big, it's hardly worth talking about. Yeah. And I love watching parents spend a year or two or even three years with me and watching them relax as parents and watching them gain confidence in knowing that uh, that their kid is perfect right in the wheelhouse, right in the wheelhouse of normal, yeah. and they don't need to worry about it. And it gives them some confidence and it gives them some ability, I think, to support teachers down the road because they've been there. They see what happens. Yeah, uh, I actually kind of suspect right now during uh, during the coronavirus, you know, quarantines and everything, there are going to be a lot of parents who are learning what we do. Yeah. And uh, are, are going to be gaining that appreciation for, you know, it's not it's not all fun and games all day long. Yeah, there's a lot of early drinking going on, I think. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, you touched on it. Like that that circle model, it's like that return and receive, return, rece receive. That's like that you must just have this phenomenal community um, bond going on as well. And um, the in my research here, it's like, the cooperative isn't a new thing. You're looking at like being around since 1916, which I didn't know about as well. Yeah. So it's like this really tried and tested. Yeah, um, no, the cooperative model has been around for a very long time. It, I think the first ones I heard about were actually in Australia um, right around that time, right around yeah. 1916, right around the turn of the last century. They really took off, however, especially in the U.S., uh, in the kind of middle part of the century in the 1950s and 60s. Yeah. And a lot of that had to, really in the in the 40s and 50s is when our system started. And that had a lot to do with, um, you know, in, a, in the U.S. at that time, everybody was leaving the cities, moving out of the cities into the suburbs. Yep. And, you know, then the husbands would go into the city to work and that left mainly wives, right? Back then it was the housewives home kind of alone with the kids. Yep. And they weren't used to this kind of uh, lifestyle. And so the 
the moms got together and they started, you know, organizing their own little preschools that went house to house to house. Yeah. And uh, that's really how it started with the parents being their children's own teachers. And it wasn't until, you know, our school was founded in 1977. So some of the schools started hiring professional teachers and all that through that yeah. time. And it's a very big model here in the Northwest of the US and the Northeast of the US, it's pretty big. And of course the play centers down in New Zealand uh, yep. are a very similar type of concept. Yeah. And um, what do you attribute to the community uptake? And the, because you know we, we hear constantly about there not being enough time, there not being enough time, but you are actually getting parents to um, dedicate days and days of their time for these great outcomes. So what do you think attributes yeah. to that? It seems counterproductive. Intuitive. Yeah. Well, part of it is that, you know, and here we are, this is also, you know, the home of a lot of the big companies you've heard of like Amazon and, yep. and uh, Microsoft and, you know, Starbucks and just a lot of big companies here who you would think would be sort of maybe not fans of this, but we have so many, we have over 200 cooperative preschools in the area. Yeah. So a lot of these executives Amazing. had their own kids in co-ops. And so it's kind of part of our culture in a way. Yeah. Uh, it's very rare to talk to somebody who doesn't know what they are around here. Yeah. So I think that's a piece of it. Um, but I, I really do believe that, um, I mean, we get, so it's, parents have to sacrifice for it. You know, they, they, they have to make a decision. Uh, it's, it, it's some, some parents have made the decision. Yeah. I'm going to take, you know, five years out of my career and I'm going to be a stay at home parent. And typically that's the mother, although we have a number of fathers doing it now too. Yeah. Um, others just have to work their schedule out with their employers. And I think that's the big thing I encourage people to do is go talk to your employer chances are they're going to, if they didn't do co-op themselves, they know somebody who did. And, you know, if you're, you're willing to just say, listen, I need Wednesday mornings off and I'll work later on Thursday afternoons yeah. or something like that. It, it, most employers seem to be pretty good about working around that with the parents. The thing that I really notice, and I think this is something that people are starting to uh, get a hold of around here, at least, is this idea that the way we've organized childcare uh, in the modern world is really bizarre in the context of the overall history of human beings. I mean, for 99% of human history, adults and children were together during the workday. The children were there as the adults were doing their hunting and gathering, doing their agricultural work. <laughs> they didn't have a problem having the kids around. They managed to get their work done with the kids around. But now we've got this, you know, the industrial revolution kind of led to this world where we've separated everything. We've got the kids over here in school all day long, and we've got the adults over here in their workplaces all day long. And we've even gone so far as to take the older people and put them into senior centers all day long. And so we've broken up our little communities into these. And it's really quite bizarre. We've lost, you know, people keep wanting to blame technology and pace of life for the breakup of society. I think this is a big factor that we don't talk enough about is that we don't have our villages anymore, our communities. And that to me is the is is a really powerful part of the cooperative model is we we form that village again. And I tell the parents during the fall orientation when they enroll their children, I say, look, you know, look around. You might not know these people right now, but these are your neighbors. Yeah. These are the people, by the time we're done here, you're going to be trusting these people with your kids. You're going to be letting sending them to their houses. You're going to be trusting them to, di to discipline your kids. You're going to be trusting them to, to feed your kids and care for them and, and to speak with them in the ways that, that you approve of, so to speak, because you're all part of this culture that's developing this childcare ethic together. And each year, each year, that group of parents comes up with kind of a somewhat different culture. Yeah. And it's because it's theirs and it should be that way. Yeah, and um, how is it perceived in the wider community? And how's it? Because it, 
challenge we have in Australia is that early childhood development, as in a lot of countries, is looked down upon as um, childcare or babysitting. So how's cooperative care perceived in the wider community? Oh, I, you know, I'd say the same thing, yeah. um, the same way. I mean, everybody who is, most of people who aren't, you know, engaged in our world, who aren't parents themselves, um, you know, look at how much we pay people. Look how much we pay early childhood educators. Look at the low prestige we have. The, the, the best thing about this, best thing about this time of plague is that it's really clear how yeah. important the childcare function is to our economy without us. I mean, if we all decide we're not going back to work, yeah. We shut down the economy for as long as we want. So I'm thinking, I'm telling everybody right now, us early childhood educators should be out there putting together our list of demands because this might be our last chance with leverage. And we could say, you know what? We're sitting home. Oh, you're reopening the economy. Huh? How are you going to do that without paying us more? Yeah. I, it's time for us to take a stand. And I think this might be a time. I mean, maybe it's not going to be that hardcore, but I'm thinking something like that yeah. would be a great thing to do. I yeah, and I love that shift that's happening. We hold in high esteem these like corporate positions, corporate jobs, but hey, they were the first to go go get cut. They were the first to set, get sent home, and who's yeah. out on the front line like keeping things and, running? And, the, and the, but but they still had to get the, they still have to send the kids to be cared for. Yeah, they still have to have people run in the front of the shop so they can sell their you know their their snacks or whatever their move whatever product. I I uh, it, it's I think I hope that no one could ever again say that we're just a bunch of little pudding heads, you know, <laughs> who don't know what we're doing and that anybody yeah. can do it because I think they're seeing that that's not true. Yeah. And that's what I love about that model as well. Parents are seeing firsthand, like the depth, the understanding. And for us, we're trying to convey that depth and professionalism and depth of care yeah. in these little fleeting interactions in transition between the pickup yeah. and take home, you know, so we're always yeah, and, doing that. And I think it's, I think you're right. I mean, I think, you know, if parents could really see what's going on and understand what we're doing, because right now they get a lot of their information about education from non-educators, yep. from policymakers, from elected officials, from business people. And, you know, they're all smart guys, you know, smart men and women, uh, but they're smart at what they're smart at. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's the, the joke I always like to tell is, you know, Bill Gates is a smart guy and he built this great big company. But when he sits down to play chess with a grandmaster, he loses in 85 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So true. Well, what I really uh, the other thing that's really valuable about it is I get to know the parents quite well. And some of these parents, especially if they come with their second or third child, I'll, I'll, I work with them in the classroom for 10 years. Wow. You know, I'll, I'll be with 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 some families for, you know, a decade and by the time they're they're better at it than me. I mean, I listen to the words they say. They're, they're repeating my phrases and they're using my sort of technology of language, but they're doing yeah. it better than I do. Yeah. And um, and I, you know, I get kind of it almost I'm, I'm blown away by the the, the parent education that goes on. Yeah. Because uh, every preschool is a community of children. Yeah. And I think a cooperative becomes a community of families, which, again, back to my point before. That's that's what we need to get back to. Yeah. We need, you know, we we should be having our children in the center of our lives because if there's any project that's foundational to civilization, it's caring for children. Yeah. And the way we've done it now, we've shoved it off on the side. We're not, yeah. you know, we have it. It should be right in the middle. That's what makes us happy, and that's what how our species survives. Yeah, I think just getting to learn a bit more about this, I think it's the number one most effective way we can turn the tide in creating a culture that values education is like by the parents seeing feeling touching what it is you're just creating those advocates to get back out there 
and yeah. speak on your behalf. Like every person speaking to all the people that you can't reach. So uh, I just want to say, hey, everyone, do the, do it like this. This would be great <laughs> because in Australia we have like community kindies, but they'll have a board. Uh-huh. They'll have a board yeah. of parents, and then they dictate. Uh-huh. But then it's still teacher led, and they just come in for a board meeting and leave, and it's community yeah, yeah, kindy. I've seen that model and I hope that just doesn't offend anybody, but that would be my worst case scenario. Yeah. <laughs> Being yeah. managed by people who aren't professionals. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like the idea that we have this, we're managing one another kind of thing. Yeah. It's a co-op, cooperative, <laughs> cooperation. The name says it all. And the name when, says it. When we go back to, um, you mentioned it there about, you know, it is hard and have to have a thick skin of being looked down upon as like a not professional or a babysitter. How do you, for so many years, stay inspired and and maintain that spark? We see educators coming to the sector. They're so inspired, but slowly but surely it drops and drops and drops. Um, There's a stat around we have a complete turnover of early childhood workers in Australia every three to four years of Uh everyone rolls out of it. So how how do you stay inspired? Um, you know, I noticed in the beginning, I think you've got an old bio of mine because actually I've been doing this for almost 20 years. Awesome. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, you said 15. Um, but that's okay. I've been, I, and I keep, you know, I kept doing, I mean, the truth is, is that staying inspired, I, I people have asked me that question before. And I, I think about, I, I think it has to do with our pedagogy. I think it has to do with the fact that we're play-based, true yeah. play-based. Um, we're not, we're not just giving it a, a name for it. So Really, what we're doing is coming together every day and living together, which is kind of yeah. what play-based education is all about: is spending time with one another. And and uh, you know, I say all the time that at any given moment, my ten best friends are all five years old. Yeah, and and I mean that. I'm not saying that as a joke. They are my best friends. I've been spending every day with them for three years. Uh, we have yeah. inside jokes. We have shortcuts with each other. We have an easy kind of relationship with one another. And so that's what inspires me is I get to go hang out with my best friends every day. Yeah, I was writing recently in preparation for a, a talk I was doing and reflecting on that my adult role in play and my daughter refers to me as the children's adult. So if we go to a party or a barbecue or anything, she's like, you're the children's adult, let's go. You're in right. this. And it's, uh-huh. um, I really wholeheartedly believe I can relate to children and, and play a whole lot more than I can adults and have well, those you know, free connections, you know? I mean, don't, maybe you, maybe you feel this way too. I, to me, it's people, the main comment people say to me when they're trying to give me a compliment is they say, you, you, you treat children like, like people. Yeah, that's the best. <laughs> and, and to me, how else am I going to treat them? Yeah. Yeah. We had just had a, I think she was nine, Violet. Um, on the podcast and she's a huge advocate of she spoke at conferences and things saying we want to get outside more let us do it and I asked her the question hey if you could tell adults anything what would you tell them and she said "Um, I want them to know that children aren't just small um, small versions of adults we're our own people yeah I'm like how simple is that and they're fully developed as they are yeah. for, for their age and their development. I mean, they are doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing at any given moment. That's the beauty of a play-based pedagogy is you get to see children that way. You're not constantly pushing to take them to some next benchmark. Yeah, You are you are letting them choose their benchmarks and you're supporting them as they strive for their benchmarks. Yeah, we've got this and, um, saying, it's like uh, you want to be an intentional teacher 
And I'm like, I, I hate that phrase because as an adult, yeah. very lineal, we like get this intentional outcome and we override it 24-7. Yeah. I'm like, no intentional teaching, just let it be. Yeah. Oh, well, and it's, I mean, it's the way humans, I mean, that play is just the natural way for humans to learn. I mean, that is our instinct made manifest, our education instinct. And it's it's the way every animal learns, frankly. I mean, it's the whole animal kingdom knows this. Yeah. And and what we do, we have this, and I think you're right, that intentional teaching, and there's a lot of other things like that that come around. It's just this whole idea that some group of adults have decided what kids need to learn and by when, and that just ruins everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Milestone paralysis. <laughs> well, exactly. Well, and even if you have these general kind of ideas, we want children to say, even those, and I think it's good to have some overarching kind of things probably, but even those can get in the way because you're sitting there going, well, this kid, you know, really wants to explore weapons play or this yeah. kid wants to explore this or that. And we need to let him explore that because this is how children process their world is through their play. Yeah. And the only way they can understand it, I'll never forget watching after 9-11, two little boys building towers with blocks and then flying the airplanes into it. Yeah. You know, and, and the, some of the adults were saying, oh, my God, this is gruesome. We can't let them do this. This is horrible. And I was like, no, this is the, they're, they're dealing with something really traumatic. We should all be doing something yeah. like that right now. 100%. Um, and obviously working with so many parents over the years, 20 years, um, you would have some little strategies that I hope you could share with us about those getting those parents that are parents or those educators that are very educator and intentional teacher type of uh -huh. modeling. How do you get them over that and <coughs> get them to just play? A lot of it's time and role modeling. I mean, for me, the, the beauty of my model is that I've been able to, you know, usually parents stay with me. They enroll their children when they're two and they stay till they're about five. Yeah. And so I get three full years with those kids and with those parents to spend time with them. So and, you know, the ones who just really can't buy it, they just drop out after the first year. They don't return for the yeah. second year. And that's okay, too, because some of them, you know, I'm, I don't need to spend a lot of time arguing with them. Because one thing I have learned is you can't really persuade any, anyone of anything. Um, and that includes children. What you can do is you can, you can help them explore their own thinking. And when you get them thinking and talking about their own ideas, they, they invariably come up against conflicts and, and uh, like complexity of their ideas. And it, that, that, then they start thinking about it. Well, how can, I, how can I have these two competing ideas in my head? And eventually they persuade themselves. Um, but you can't persuade anybody. And I think this works as well. That's kind of the essence of play-based education in a way is, you know, I can't teach anything. But, you know, I can set up an environment where you can teach yourself things. Yeah. And uh, so that's kind of what I do with the parents is I give them an opportunity to really see what's going on. And I think that's the big part is, you know, just come every day. You know, if you're worried your kid's going to get hurt in our place, you know, you're there with them, you know, and you're helping. So if they get hurt, you're on the spot too. Yeah. So it, it, and, and it gives them a chance to, you know, they, they get to see how I think what's great is having a, a collection of veteran parents along with newcoming parents too together. And they kind of teach each other, Yeah. Uh, which is kind of beautiful. Um, but I spend a lot of time, and we also have, and this is something that I'm, I, I think that every school should have, is we have monthly parent education meetings that are mandatory. Yeah. Um, if you don't come to the, that's part of your tuition is showing up once a month to get educated about your parenting and about teaching ideas. Yeah. And so that's another place where we can go and I we can deal with idea. questions. 
questions and challenges that the par that the parents are faced, uh, very often what we do is we just sit in a circle and our parent educator will say something like, um, you know, everybody everybody gets five minutes to say they're parenting high and they're parenting low for the week. And that discussion just going around the circle, that alone opens up parents' minds because they can help each other. They can learn from each other. They know they're not alone. Again, creating that sense of community and that yeah. and people value that. And I would say more often than not, when our parents talk about our school, they don't even call it a school. They call it a community. Yeah. And does that tie in with, I know you use your pedagogical approach is the democratic progressive, um, sorry, democratic progressive play-based pedagogy. That's um, those are some words that I put together for formal situations. When yes. Somebody asked me, what, what do you do? If you're like a local person and you're asking me, you know, hey, what kind of school do you have? I'll probably use some expression like we're a crunchy granola hippie school. Uh, <laughs> <I like> it. <laughs> um, you know, it's it, it, so democratic to me means that we're all equals, that yeah. we all are equal members of our society, that there's nobody who's someone else's superior. Uh, and that we're here to cooperate and, and, and not to legislate for one another, but to come to agreements with one another about how we want to live together. Uh, we even don't, we don't even call our root classroom rules rules. We call them agreements because the yeah. children make them themselves. And to me, making your own rules, making your own agreements with your fellow citizens is the hallmark of what democracy is all about. All about. Um, John Dewey, you're probably familiar with John Dewey. And um, I, I consider him the, the, the grandfather of progressive education. Yeah. And he, you know, he has this great line and I, I, he's totally right. Democracy must be born anew with each generation and education is its midwife. Wow. And th so that's how important we are. We are the foundation. What we're doing in the early years, especially is with the foundation of a democratic society without an educated populace. And by that, I mean, people who think critically, who think for themselves, people who uh, question authority and ask a lot of questions people who uh, know that they can, people who also know that they, they have not just a right, but a responsibility to challenge authority yeah. and not just a right, but a responsibility to stand up for their beliefs and not just a right, but a responsibility to listen to the other people. Yeah. And so this is the kind of how that's, so that's the democratic part of what we do. Um, and to me, you know, kids, they thrive on this. I mean, some people I've talked about this in other, I was talking about this in Iceland a few years ago and I said similar thing to what I just said to you. Afterwards, a guy came up to me and he goes, you keep saying democracy, but I think you're talking about anarchy. <laughs> <laughs> and he meant in the political sense, right? In the yeah, best yeah. sense of the word. And I said, you know, probably so. He goes, well, why don't you use the word? I said, because it scares people. Yeah. Um, but kids are natural anarchists. Um, yeah. You know, where they, they, will make, they make situational rules, situational decisions about how they want to live together. And it's just beautiful when the kids understand that we're in charge of this. We don't have any adults here telling us what to do or telling us how we're going to be doing it. Yeah, and we work things out by breaking them down and building them up again. Yeah, exactly. Nice. And you know, and then the play part of it is just you know, it's to me, it's what we are as a place where children can come and ask and answer their own questions, and they get to do it in their own way. You know, traditional schools are all about teachers posing questions, usually really stupid questions. And yeah. testing questions and questions that are meaningless. Either the child knows the answer and then, then you've wasted your time or they don't yeah. know it. Now they have to play a guessing. I mean, just, I don't yeah. understand all the, the and I'm gonna, questions. I'm going to give you a bait and 
if you don't know the okay. answer, I'm just going to drop bait in front of you until I steer you to give the answer I want. Exactly. Aeroplane. Oh, well done. And you're like, what? Who did that? <laughs> that you're absolutely right. Um, that's that's how it does it. And to me, you know, it, there's so much power in kids being able to come in and just like, I've got a question, and you can see him doing it. I was watching this one boy one time, and he was carrying. We have those, you know, um, you see them on construction sites on, on like uh, freeways or something. They're these tall sil orange cylinders with a weighted yep. bottom, you know, yep. sort of caution thing. And we had a few of those on the playground. And this one boy would, uh, he was carrying it on his shoulder. And he's walking along with it on his shoulder. And he's and I'm just watching him. And he put it on the ground. And he kind of arranged it just so. And then he climbed up on this, this big wooden crate that was next to it. And he jumped off and landed on it. And crack, he broke it. And I said, what'd you do that for? He said, well, I wanted to see if I could break it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, duh, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. He, he, he had never, he could not have been more clear with what he was doing. And he had, he had done exactly what we should be doing in a play-based environment. Yeah. Uh, we had a little conversation about property, but you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I've had the same thing. We, um, we have a 20 foot shipping container that we fill full of loose parts and then we, cart it off like we we just had the big fire so we sent it down to one of the fire affected schools and they've pulled the stuff out one boy grabs a hammer there's a huge pipe <laughs> he starts smashing it the teacher's <laughs> like are you, are you gonna let that continue i was like looks like he's enjoying it All right and you can go have a conversation within a few minutes um that boy came up and he goes i can't believe you're letting us do this to his teacher uh -huh. and he's like yeah. why is that and he's like because I didn't think you would let us have fun. How's right. that? Like, that's fun. Well, they're so accustomed. Children have, children have grown so accustomed to having some adult hovering over them all the time, cajoling, coaxing, criticizing, scolding. Just, I mean, how horrible it would be to have to live that way. I'm so glad I'm an adult. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just to extend on um, what that looks like, I know we touched on moving on to school. Um, obviously going for 20 years, you would have some great insight and relationships ongoing for how those, the children that you've, um, been in your co-op with have moved on to school and come out of school even. Uh -huh. Um, so what are the long-term outcomes for these children that have come through your program? I would say the long-term outcomes are probably, I mean, I haven't kept an analysis or anything yeah. or, I, you know, 90, most of them just go right to school. They step right in. They do perfectly fine in yep. traditional schools. Um, but, every, but this, I mean, but honestly, um, uh, <laughs> they almost always now tell me that preschool was better than their elementary school. Yeah. And when they come back and that wasn't true when I first started teaching, when I first started teaching, every kid would come back to me and say, ah, oh, yeah, my new school is a lot better. We do better stuff. It's cooler. Yeah. And now they come back, oh, I wish I could play with water. I wish I could do this. It's become a lot more academic just in the last you know, couple of decades. Mm -hmm. um, but the kids do great. I mean, they go off. They, they, um, they, I, I, one of the uh, kindergarten teachers, so our first year of public schools, our kindergarten year, and a kindergarten teacher from the local public school one time said to me, she said, I always know which kids came from your school because they know how to take care of themselves and they know how to take care of other people. Yeah. And that was one of the greatest compliments I've ever received in my life because that's all I care about for them yeah. to know. Yeah. And, and she said, you know, you know, I, it's my job to teach them how to read. It's my job to teach them how to do the math and all that stuff. It's not your job. And so 
Um, so at least in that case, it was really good. A lot of my families, I will say, a good percentage of our families uh, continue on with some version of, uh, of of a more alternative type school. Yeah, uh, we have we have two uh, uh, cooperative elementary schools in Seattle, so a lot of my families just continue the cooperative model and yeah. keep going to school with their kids. Um, never heard of a cooperative middle school. Uh, no. I think middle schoolers kind of want you out of their hair. By the time you're 12, you don't want your parents hanging around. Yeah, no. <laughs> Fun sponges. Yeah. But, you know, it's – and so I think they go on and, and there was um, – but even – but some of them go on and they, they can't – you know, they, they start bouncing off the walls. Yeah. Um, because they, they thrived in our environment where they were, you know, where we took away the walls and they weren't – they didn't have anything to bounce off of. And, you know, those kids I actually – consider my heroes in a way because they they know they shouldn't be treated this way yeah they know they shouldn't be um told what to do when to do and how to do it and they object to it very strongly and to me those are the kids who learned the lessons of standing up to authority and speaking their mind and yeah. and uh and, and and you know and they have to come to the bottom line for me is you know people often say well if they've just played how can they be ready for regular school um you know, how if you haven't trained them on reading and math and, and ABCs yeah. and all that, you know, how are they going to be ready? I say, you know, you don't starve yourself to prepare for a famine, <laughs> right? If you yeah. know a famine's coming, you get yourself fattened up on all the best stuff there is yeah. because you're going to survive longer that way. So that's what I say I'm doing. I say I actually don't care too much about whether they thrive or not at the next level. What I care about is that they are better prepared to tackle the challenges to come because there are going to be way more challenges than what they faced in terms of, uh, in terms of their freedom, so to yeah. speak. Yeah. Yeah. I love that saying. I love it. <laughs> um, you mentioned it briefly there, the um, child walking into your environment. And I know that um, you do a very Reggio inspired. The environment is the third educator. And I've heard you mention that your most important, time of the day is your two hours before you actually go into um before the children arrive setting up and and what did you say um preparing her as the yeah. the environment as the third educator i love that and because i used to do the same i would just go in and i'd start and my role was in addition to the ratio and it was just the outdoors so i just start tending to the garden doing my maintenance and have my plan of what I'm going to do. And guess what? Mm -hmm. Who wants to join in? And it just happens organically. But they were the best, most valuable times is just just preparing the space. Um, so maybe you could talk to us about um, what your space looks like and how you create that third educator. Okay. Um, well, the so the, the third teacher for me, I mean, that really is your environment. And I think that includes more than just the physical space. Yeah. To me, that also is the organization. So I, the fact that we're a cooperative is part of being a thir the third teacher and having all those parents around is a big part of the third teacher. Because we'll have, you know, we'll have 20 kids, but we'll have 10 adults in the room sometimes. It's the best ratio um, ever. <laughs> it's an amazing ratios, amazing ratios we get. So that's part of it. Uh, but yeah, like you said, you know, I always, I, you know, I, I'm not even joking. The the only time I work during the day is those first two hours yeah. um, before the kids arrive. Because once the kids arrive, then I'm just there and I'm just running to keep up with them and I'm just joining in their fun and, and you know, staying out of their way or whatever the case is. Uh, because after they get there, it's their business, what they're doing. Um, so, you know, what I do, what I, how I look at it is 
our, you know, if you want to know how our place looks, our indoor space looks like any other preschool on the face of the world. It's just, yeah. you know, it's a, uh, it's got some tables and chairs and some a big carp, big rug on it. It's got toys in there, blocks and, you know, blocks and paints and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's our outdoor space. That's really special. Uh, we have a, what we call a junkyard playground. Yeah. I was um, Jenny Cobble down in Sydney. She used to have a, she had a blog called let the children play. And she and I started blogging on the very first together, like exactly at the same time. And yeah. I used to see she was on, she was by the, she had the bush was right, right next to her school and they would go out in the bush all the time. And I was so envious because we're, you know, we're an urban school. We're right in the middle of, you know, Seattle's not the biggest city, but we're the, the mo one of the more densely populated yeah. cities because, and, you know, so the parents have chosen to raise their kids here, but, you know, we don't, you have to get in a car and drive somewhere to get to some, any kind of bush. Yeah. And, um, and then I started thinking, well, what's, you know, what, what could we do? And I realized that the vacant lot, that vacant lot is the, is sort of the playground for urban kids. Yeah. And so that's what we've created uh, out there. It, it is, you know, you talked about your shipping container full of loose parts. Um, this is on steroids. This is basically just junk. I don't even use the term loose parts no. anymore. I just say it makes more sense to say, just bring your junk. I tell the parents when you're cleaning your, your garage or cleaning the cellar, or cleaning out the attic, you just bring your stuff by. If it has any value in it, the kids will let us know. Throw yeah. it on. And so I'd come in and show up and we have planks of wood and, and spare tires and and um, logs and rocks and sticks, obviously. Uh, broken toys. Almost everything out there is broken. There's, there's yeah. probably a thousand toys out there. Every one of them is broken. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, cars without wheels and dolls without heads and that type of thing. And it, it drives some adults crazy. Yeah. But it is a beautiful place. Uh, this third third teacher. Yeah. It's a beautiful third teacher to most children when they look at that. And the thing that I like most about it is that as adults, we have this tendency to um, be protective of stuff. Yeah. Uh, we have a heart, you know, especially when it's inside, you know, we don't want them breaking this or being rough with that or using this wrong. And when you have an outdoor place, a vacant lot type place, nobody really cares. Yeah. Um, the adults are relaxed. The adults are like, oh, well, they broke the toy that's already broken. Uh, who cares? And the kids really can. That boy you talked about that was, you know, hammering everything. Uh, that kid, that is, that's an urge. That's a creative urge, some people would say, um, that needs to yeah. be, or, or, you know, the destructive urge. Maybe they need that urge, but it's something you need to explore to understand because um, that's how we do it through play. So for me, uh, getting the environment ready is sort of setting up the, the guide rails, which is, you know, deciding what materials are available and what aren't that day. Yeah. Because uh, if your your school was anything like mine, mine, you know, we have, I have a storage room almost as big as my classroom. So I have tons of stuff and you get all that stuff out every day and the kids are just going to go nuts. Yeah. So I decide, you know, what activities I kind of think about, well, what did the kids do yesterday? What were they talking about? What might be interesting uh, to them today? And I kind of get the materials out and set things up. And like you were talking about, I start working in the garden or, you know, working on a project at the workbench or something like that. Yeah. Um, to kind of, and, and you're right, children want to get engaged with real stuff. That's one of the most important things to understand. And toys, for some reason, we've got this idea that, you know, we've connected children with toys um, and that, yeah. that somehow schools and homes have to have all these toys. But if you give children a choice, they will almost always choose the real things. They will not choose the toy. Yeah. Uh, if you have a toy lawnmower and a real lawnmower and you put them out for the kids to play with, they're, none of them are going to play with the toy one. Yeah. They're all going to be playing with the real one. Yeah, definitely. I just made a, um, and you're on the platform as well, a parent TV. 
So our oh, listeners, yeah. the link's in the bio. I just made a video for Parent TV and um, I get a Mandarin. I was like, this is a real experience. Look what you can do. You peel it and all of the um, sensory inputs that you receive from it and then I get a fake one. I was like, here's a real, here's a replica. Yeah. And then we can even go further and look at a screen as a simulation of a real yeah. experience. And I use it in a workshop. I get them to write out all the words they can come up with with the Mandarin. Yeah. And then, okay, with the replica, cross out the ones you can no longer use. Right. So you get about 50 words yeah. and then you reduce it down to 10. Yeah, and that's a good – like, great... Okay, here's a picture of a Mandarin on a screen and they get two words. Yeah. It's like what are we offering our that. children? Are we offering a yeah. real experience? Uh-huh. Are we offering a replica or a simulation? So yeah. even not considering like what would that exp- – what would a replica – situation look like if you've never had the data of a real experience as well yeah so we see it as oh look this is a mandarin but what happens if charles never done the mandarin mm-hmm. so we're just we're just shrinking it down like from yeah well though no, i i mean i i've had that same sort of you know you mentioned it with screens it's absolutely true i mean if you and i were sitting down together we would have all of our senses engaged yeah whereas now right now i can see you i can hear you and yeah. that's about it yeah um, I'm, I've, it's very, it's a, it's a, it's a lesser experience. Yeah. And we also know that there are other human senses beyond just those five we always talk about that maybe we haven't defined yet so much that you really, I was walking, uh, I was, I've been, I've been trying to keep myself sane, taking long walks. Yeah. And uh, I was taking a long walk the other day and there was this guy coming from the other direction on the, on the sidewalk. And it's wide enough. We could each pass each other a good two meters apart on either side of the sidewalk. And we both stood on either side and we were walking along. And as we got close to each other, then suddenly we both started, I mean, both of us started kind of drifting toward one another. There was like this magnetic pull <laughs> and we both kind of laughed and pulled ourselves away because that's, that's, that's some kind of, um, we need to be close together. We need yeah. to, and it's, you can't do it with the screens like this. Yeah. Um, and I had a guest on recently when we were talking about with the COVID and the, this real threat or real risk, I should say, it's actually pulling our community together to want to connect more. And then yeah. when we look at safety in a community like with abductions or assault, they're like just perceived. They're not real because if you look right. at the data and they're actually pushing us apart. Yeah. So the real risk is actually pushing us together because it's our innate response and the fake one. And so I'm going to use that as an indicator all the time. If it's, if it's pushing us apart, it's, it's not real. It's probably fake. Yeah, yeah 100%. <laughs> Well, you know, you could put that with racism, for example. You yeah. know, the racist ideas push us apart, but, you know, it's not real. It's yeah. not a real, it's not a real, um, you know, it's a real factor. Racism is real. Yes. But, you know, as a concern, as a danger, it's not real. Yeah. And then once you ha- make it a real, in a relationship sense. Yeah. And you're connecting with the person as a person, not as an idea. Yeah. Guess what? You're not going to be pushing away from that person. You're going to be right. drawing closer. Yeah. I like it. What's the difference in results? I'm assuming previously before you had your junkyard, you had a more traditional playground, um, the <laughs> platforms and slides and swings. So, you know, what did you have before? <laughs> well, uh, the original playground we had was a slab of asphalt and uh, three trees and a, uh, and, a, and a mud pit that we called the garden. <laughs> <laughs> And, and we would just throw a whole bunch of toys out there and the kids would go out there. And basically 
um, you know, they would play and we spent, we were spending less and less time. It was a tiny space. It was not yeah. a lot of room. It was, it was totally inadequate for, for outdoor space for children. And I had just started teaching and I didn't really, you know, I was just taking what I could get. And then, you know, sort of through my process of, of uh, becoming a blogger and spending time looking at all these incredible outdoor spaces that, you know, places like Australia seem to have sometimes. Yeah. Um, that our community, I started sharing with them. I said, so look at this, look what we could have, look what we could do. And so we ended up transforming first the small, that small space. We just came and we just threw down, you know, a layer of soil and wood chips over the asphalt just yeah. to make it look more natural. We, 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 we built new planter boxes for the garden, made the garden. I said, we built a sand pit in the corner. We, it was a tiny space. We put a workbench out there with tools. So the, the kids had a, and, uh, it come, the, the day that I persuaded the parents that we needed to put to all hands on deck for a weekend to build this new playground was we were at school and it was, I think it was on a Thursday and there were 20 kids out there. And at one point, all 20 of them were standing on the stairs screaming at the top of their lungs. And that's all they were doing. That's yeah. all they were doing. And I said, I said, I said, the, I think the kids are telling us that this isn't good enough for them. Yeah. <laughs> and so we built the first one and then we moved to a new facility with a bigger space. And then we, through the parents out there and we in about a week we built the built the bones of the playground we have now yeah as a community what advice would you have for um, educators out there to create this high value environment from teacher tom oh man um what advice would i have well i'd say the first thing is get the parents on your bandwagon you know yeah. um work get to know them i mean it's really important i think to create create um a relationship beyond just you know yeah, how was today? Well, your kid was really good today or your kid was really bad today. And I think that's a lot of the interactions teachers and parents have is about the challenges or the, you know, you praise the kid for, you know, doing well on something or you criticize them for something else. And I think that a little bit more transparency about really what's going on and how the day is going and the challenges and all that. But I also think just creating a better relationship so you can get them on the bandwagon because you can't go from a traditional playground to a junkyard playground overnight. No, um, I think bringing in little elements one yep. at a time, slowly start going that way. I think your idea of, of just having like today is loose parts day and start yeah. that way and put that out there. And, and, and then, you know, maybe say, oh, and then people start asking, well, why can't my kid loves it? Why can't we yeah. do it every day? You know 100%. what? Good idea. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I introduced it to families by calling it um, no toy day. Uh -huh. And we'd have like no toys and it's a very easy concept to grasp. It's like, oh, right. and then it, you just go back to the box, um, the box metaphor that everyone knows who knows about. They yeah. don't play with the truck, they play with the box. And I was like, we're getting rid of the trucks, we're playing with the box. That's what we're doing. And then parents that didn't understand what was going on, their feedback was like, something's really changed about how the children are playing and, and the outside. I, I don't know what it is, but what it was, I ended up putting all the trucks and everything away for the majority of the uh -huh. time. And it was no toy day every day, but every now yeah. and then I'd celebrate no toy day to bring it back to their forefront. Uh -huh. So they'd be like, Oh yeah, this is great. But over the, just sneak it in, sneak it in. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think, and I think that's, you obviously know then, cause to me, just, you got to just build it slowly, but surely you can't do it all at once. Yeah. You'll have a rebellion on your hands and people, yeah. you know, Hey, these are their kids. And if it, they perceive it's dangerous, that's just as bad as it being dangerous in a way because yeah. if they perceive hazard. Um, even if you know the hazard isn't there, yeah, 
it, you just have to gradually get them accustomed to it. Yeah. And, you know, and I also do, you know, I do say I prepare the families. I tell them, you know, expect your kid to come home every day covered in mud, paint, water, snot, yeah. blood. You know, they're going to come home and, and, you know, those little, blo- you know, scrape knees and things. That's part of learning. That's part of what you should expect your child to yeah. come home with. You and should ask me about it if your kid's not coming home with a with a butt band-aid once in a while. Yeah, that's what I'll be concerned of. Um, what I'm hearing time and time again, if it's working with the parents, um, supporting the children, creating that space, what I'm hearing is that you're just honoring the time it takes. Like you're not looking for like, oh, okay, what's the number one thing I've got to do here? You're saying, well, yeah. this takes time and it's, I'm going to honor that. We're all on a journey, right? I mean, I, you know, I've been blogging uh, for 12 years now. And if I go back and read some of those things I wrote 12 years ago, I'm embarrassed. I actually literally am embarrassed by some of the stuff I wrote back then. And I've thought about deleting. And then I thought, no, this is evidence of the journey I've taken. Yeah. And I've gone from, from there to here. And when I look at you or I look at a parent or I look at it, everybody's on their journey. And they're at some point in the journey. You can't really hurry them along. Yeah. You can maybe point in a direction, you know, you maybe can give them a tip or some advice for overcoming whatever stage they're in right now. But uh, I think that's one of the, one of the hardest things is, is that everybody has their own pace. They're going to go and they're going to have to hold it in their head in a different way. Yeah. Uh, I, I really wish I could, I, sometimes I do. I wish people say to me, Oh, teacher Tom, I wish you could just give me the ABCs of what to do. Um, you know, and you, yeah, but then you look at the kind of book that I produce, Teacher Tom's first book, which is basically blog post, you know, that I've re-edited yep. to fit into a book. And Teacher Tom's second book's the same way. And I, I kind of wish I could be the kind of guy who just said, oh, do, you know, A, B, C, and D, and then you'll have the result. And I, you know, I really, because that's not the way learning works. And it no. doesn't work for adults that way or kids that way. Yeah, and that's we what all, I appreciate. We have to think you. of it ourselves. Yeah, 100%. And um, an idea... I've been exploring a bit with the it's a Simon Simon Sinek book, The Infinite Game, and it's very business orientated. As in, you know, instead of looking at things finite, as in seasonally, let's look at it generationally. And then, with our the conflict within our education model is that the more middle school, elementary school style is they're very finite in their thinking. We're going to learn about this and it's going to end. And it's direct conflict with what we're trying to do. And we're trying to create these infinite learners and this infinite time and this infinite curiosity and questioning. So just, that's what I love about you. You're you're honest. You write beautifully as well. So if anyone hasn't, head over over to... um, teacher tom's blog via the facebook like his page parent tv as well what most excites you um that is happening in your field of expertise and in your world right now what what excites you i think i mean i think that our message of play-based education is growing i mean we still are in our little bubbles out there we're still each one of us is kind of in our bubbles and i i and the metaphor I keep thinking about is I got my little bubble, but it's getting a little bigger and a little bigger. And then over here, your bubble's growing and you're getting yours a little bigger and a bigger. And like today, the you know how bubbles, when they connect, they yeah. merge, they yeah. become one bigger bubble. So yeah. like today, maybe our bubbles became one bigger bubble. Yeah. And I get excited by that, um, by the connections we're able to make doing things like this yeah. um, through blogging and all that kind of thing. Because I think we're having this dialogue 
um, an international dialogue about yeah. what's right for children and what's the best way to educate them and the best way to give them the chance to educate themselves, I guess is a better way to phrase it. So th to me, that's what excites me right now is more and more people. Uh, what concerns me a little bit is, is, is we've had so much success that some of the traditionalists have started using the term play. Yeah. You know, they've taken some of our, they, they've used, they're using the term loose parts, for example. Yeah. They're using the term, they say, this is, this is play-based. And then they, they start saying, you know, play with a purpose. Yeah. That's the, <laughs> yeah. that's the, that always tells me it's adult directed. Yeah. Uh, the moment yeah. they say it's play with a purpose or, you know, here's a, I literally have seen worksheets that were called play-based worksheets. <laughs> and, and, and so for me, it's, it's, it's kind of so, but I think what's good is that there are people out there, some, some of these people in our profession who are more directive are starting to understand that there's value in what we're doing. They don't quite understand what we're doing. Um, they don't understand it fully yet. They, they think that just because kids are running and screaming, that means it's play. Yeah. And I think they forget that play is a lot of different things and some of it isn't pretty. Um, yeah. There's a lot of bickering in play. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of conflict in play. There's yeah. a lot of things that we that we, you know, try to that we'd otherwise try to shut down. But to me, those are pathways to great learning. Yeah. Doing those things, and so I guess what I'm that's what I'm mostly excited about is I think we're having some success. We're starting to get the word out there. We're starting to expand people's knowledge base about what play is all about and what childhood should be. I think we're getting, maybe we're getting back to a place where we can give children back their childhood. Yeah. That's like one of our core values is like yeah. creating a child, like trying to create the childhood that they deserve. And what excites me is this, the international or universal acknowledgement um, and joining that the challenges we're all facing, it doesn't matter if you're in Australia or America, these children have these universal challenges to overcome right now. And then yep. everyone's going, well, you're dealing with the same thing I'm dealing with over here. Like I've worked with an indigenous community right in the middle of Australia and then um, worked with a community in India. And I was like, these are the same things. Uh -huh, They're yep. facing the same challenges. Yep. Um, on a final point, we'll wrap up on what is play to teacher Tom, definition of play from teacher Tom. Uh, Self-selected activity. Boom, simple. I like it. If you choose it, to, if you choose to do it yourself, somebody was asking me that actually that question just they sent me on. They're running a parent-run school and they yep. don't have a lot of professionals there. And uh, one of the teachers had organized this activity. I think they were actually in Australia, uh, organizing activity where the kids were making poppies. I guess for Anzac Day yep. or something like that, and they were making these paper poppies and the other teachers were saying that's not play-based and you know and and the way i said i said i said she said is it play-based isn't it? i mean they're just making a craft. i said if it's a craft that everybody has to do and they all have to do it the same way it's not play-based yeah if it's an option for the children to come in and do if the materials are there and they can choose to do it if they can choose to follow the instructions or not follow the instructions, then it is play and so to me it's all about that element of of self-selected activity yeah, that's beautiful. Um, firstly, this thank you so much for joining us today. I know our listeners are going to get so much out of um, our conversation. I have personally as well. I feel super inspired. Um, and it's just an honor to be able to talk to someone that I've read content for so long and 
um, actually talk to you. So that's been a great pleasure. Thank you. Um, Thank you Car- so much. That's it's an absolute honor. And um, anyone, f- go head over to Facebook, follow Teacher Tom on Facebook. Amazing blogs, the one on bickering, the one on plague recently. Get in, involved with those. Um, also, um, parenttv.com forward slash experts forward slash teacher Tom. Um, you'll find him there as well. And also, you can go online and find Teacher Tom's first book. And there's actually a link there to buy Teacher Tom's second book yeah, when it's and released. I, my second book is, is we're pre-selling the second book, Teacher Tom's yep. second book right now. Um, uh, it's so, you know, and that is just, if you just... Um, Look for it. Actually, if you just Google Teacher Tom's second book, yeah, you should be able to find it that way. And the same with uh, that e course, it's, it's at Fairy Dust Teaching, the Partnering with Parents e course yep. you mentioned. Yep. It's partnering. That's at fairydustteaching.com slash teacher Tom. Fantastic. Um, and also, if you buy the Teacher Tom's first book and Teacher Tom's second book together, you get a better price. So that's there's right. a hot tip for you. Um, Once again, thank you so much, Teacher Tom, and I look forward to catching up and doing another one of these soon. Thanks. It was a lot of fun. Thanks, mate. Thank you for joining us for another Play It Forward Worthy podcast. Hope you enjoyed the inspirational Teacher Tom. Um, Look up Teacher Tom on Facebook, on Parent TV, Teacher Tom's first book. Thanks again and look forward to you joining us again soon.